on FM, online and on your smartphone. This is Burns FM News. You're listening to Scottish Radio News. I'm Chloe Gardiner and I'm here with your news updates. Dozens of puppies have been rescued from the back of a lorry with life-threatening diseases. The Scottish SPCA were called to the ferry port at Cairn Ryan after being alerted by a member of the public who heard puppies crying from inside a lorry. 24 cockapoo and cavapoo puppies were discovered in a dire situation, confined under the lorry in cardboard boxes without any food or water. After being taken to one of the charity's rescue and rehoming centres for immediate veterinary care, they were found to be suffering from severe ear mites and other life-threatening diseases. The puppies are now safe and receiving the necessary treatment until they're healthy enough for new homes. The charity has estimated that the cost of the rescue and ongoing care to be around £25,000 and have appealed to the public for help. Fears have been raised that a strip club monopoly could be created in Edinburgh by new licensing rules aimed at restricting the number of venues. There are currently three strip clubs in the city and councillors have been warned that only allowing three licences could push dancers further into the hands of possibly exploitative bosses during a cost of living crisis. The warning came in a letter sent on behalf of lap dancers in the capital to members of the council's regulatory committee. The committee will meet on Monday to agree the local authorities' approach to regulating sexual entertainment venues after new powers to set up licensing schemes were handed down by Scottish ministers. The boom in the cruise ship industry in Aberdeen hopes to bring over £20 million to the city. The port in the northeast is gearing up to welcome over 100 cruise ships every year by 2027, as the highest number of vessels yet to arrive this year with 50 expected. The number of cruises calling in Aberdeen has led to an increase in guest numbers from around 3,000 up to the 34,000 expected in 2024. The arrival of larger ships at the port's new South Harbour is expected to generate around £4.5 million this year and could exceed £20 million in years to come. More than 300 new homes are set to begin construction in Bishopton. Persimmon West Scotland announced that the development will offer a wide variety of new energy-efficient homes, ranging from two to five bedrooms. It includes 35 of the new homes being built under the company's prestigious Charles Church banner, offering a range of larger luxury properties. The works are set to begin early this year, with 309 homes in total being built. In addition, 23 of the new high-quality homes will be transferred to a local housing association to help local people in housing needs. The new development in Dargavo Village will form part of the larger regeneration BAE Systems Old Royal Ordnance Factory. That's all from me. I'm Chloe Gardner and you've been listening to Scottish Radio News. Merns FM Weather with Ace Competitions. This is today's weather on Mearns FM. Today's weather is set for sunny spells with a breeze, with rain coming in from the west. Mearns FM weather with Ace Competitions. Head over to acecompetitions.co.uk or find us on Facebook and Instagram for more information. Mearns FM weekend sponsored by Ace Competitions. Win life-changing prizes, cars, cash, luxury holidays and more with Ace Competitions. Starting at just 25 pence an entry, we have something for everyone. Ace prizes, ace prices, ace odds. Find us on Facebook and Instagram or enter online now at www.acecompetitions.co.uk. All participants must be 18 years or over. Begambleaware.co.uk. Hey, yeah, yeah. Woo! 
Welcome to this worship service provided by Abuthnut, Bervey and Kniff Church. If you would like to find out more about us or support us in our ministry, then you can search for us online, on Facebook and on YouTube by searching for ABK Church. We pray that this service will be a blessing to you. Welcome you here to Burvey. Um, it's great to welcome you here, whether you're with us regularly or you've not been for a while. We gladly worship God together. Before uh, we sing our opening praise, let me read the um, beginning of Psalm 63. The psalmist writes, O God, you are my God, and I long for you. My whole being desires you. Like a dry, worn-out and waterless land, my soul is thirsty for more of you. Let me see you in your sanctuary. Let me see how mighty and glorious you are. Your constant love is better than life itself. And so I will praise you. And that's what we'll do. We'll praise our God because God is worthy of our whole being. And we'll stand and sing if we're able our opening song, Praise is Rising. Thank you. 
we welcome the Lord Jesus into our midst and we say, God, come and have your way among us. Let's come to him in prayer. We'll close with the words of the Lord's Prayer. Our gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give thanks to you and we praise your name as we come together as your people. We bless you for your kindness and generosity in giving us life and breath. We thank you that you have been our sustaining God, providing countless goodness and blessings throughout our whole life. And God, even when we fail you, your love for each of us is endless. And so we're glad to praise you, to exalt your name, and our hearts burst into song. Together we rejoice that you are our matchless king. You have no rival because you are from everlasting to everlasting. You're the all-sufficient saviour who sent Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to pay the penalty instead of us, to bear the curse, to take from each and every one of us every ounce of sin and shame. Instead of that sin and that shame, you give us magnificent robes of righteousness so that even us, as sinful as we are, might be completely and utterly forgiven, sins atoned for, the slate wiped clean, a fresh start for us all. Holy Spirit, come in all of your power upon each and every one of us here. Mould us and break us, for you are the potter and we are the clay. For those who are weary, tend to our wounds. To those who are hurting, may you bind up our wounds. Comfort us in our distress. And give us all the strength and resolve to live for Christ alone. So as we sing of your glory, be pleased to receive the praise of our lips and our hearts. As we come to you in prayer, give us faith to trust that you are the good, good Father who loves to hear our voice. In our preaching and our listening to your word, speak to our very souls. And in our fellowship together, make us into a shining light for Jesus. Bless us richly, we pray. Help us to worship you this day in spirit and in truth. For we ask all of these things for Jesus' sake. and his words, we pray together. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins.
From John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, Jesus anointed at Bethany. So six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about half a litre of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. 
As keeper of the money bag, he used it to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now when Jesus speaks, we listen. That makes sense, doesn't it? Because Jesus is the one who, to whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given. Jesus is the one who, it said, um, will forever receive all the praise of the people in Revelation. And the people sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. We listen to Jesus because one day every knee will bow before him. We listen to Jesus because he is supreme, he is king. And as followers of Jesus, we're also united to him by faith. We become alive to him by his grace. Jesus is our good shepherd, our friend, our rescuer, our king. Why would we not listen to him? And so what does Jesus say to us? Well, he says lots of things, but the last thing that Jesus says in his earthly life before he ascends to heaven after he was raised from the dead He tells his followers at the end of the Gospel of Matthew to go and make disciples of all people, of every nation, of every people group, of every tribe, of every language and tongue. Jesus says that to his disciples. And his disciples take that to heart and for the next few years as they live on earth, they do that. Patron Saint of Scotland, Saint Andrew, who went and did that and others did that too. And so they told others to, to follow Jesus and they followed Jesus. They became disciples and then they went on to tell others who then told others who then told others. And in fact, if you're a Christian here today in 2024, it's because God's people have been doing that, being disciples who tell other people of Jesus, who then become disciples, who tell others, who told your minister or Sunday school teacher or your parent or whoever it was that first told you about Jesus so that you today might be a disciple. What does it mean though to be a disciple? Because if Jesus wants every follower of Jesus to be a disciple and to make disciples, we need to ask, what is a disciple? After all, we cannot be one unless we know what it is. If we're to look in the dictionary, a disciple, it might say, is someone who adheres to the teachings of another person. It doesn't necessarily need to be a religious thing, but a disciple is someone who says, I want to follow your teachings. As a learner, a follower of the ways of someone else. And if you're a Christian disciple, a disciple of Jesus, you're someone who wants to learn to live like him, who has been awoken by God's grace to know him, who wants to say that my words, my actions, my life will be conformed to the way of Jesus. Jesus, you live, you did this, you speak this way, and therefore I want to live and speak and think this way too. And so beginning this Sunday, we're beginning a five-week series that I'm calling Becoming. Because our desire for you, my desire for you, God's desire for you, is that the person you are today is not the finished article. That you are to become or you are becoming so much more like Jesus as you go through life. And your words, your actions and all of life. So if God gives you one more week of life, God wants you over the next week to become more like Jesus. If God gives you many more decades, he wants you to be becoming all that Jesus wants you to be over those next few decades. And so for the next five weeks, we want to explore what a disciple is. There are many things you could think of, but we're going to think of five main things. And this morning, I want to begin with a disciple as someone who's a worshipper of Jesus. That's at the heart of the ministry of Jesus while he, while he was here on earth. 
You might remember the story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. And there Samaritan woman asked Jesus, our people worship God on this mountain in this way. Your people, you, the Jews, you worship in the mountain over there in that kind of way. Where will they worship in heaven? On Jerusalem or on our mount, on Mount Gezim? And Jesus says it's not about where you worship. What God is after is true worshippers, not false ones. Those who worship him in spirit and in truth, he says. So if we follow Jesus, we must worship God through Jesus, because he's our mediator, our go-between God and here. And we must worship Jesus himself, because he is our God. Alison read for us the account of John 12, where John records what happened with Jesus and his disciples in a place called Bethany, just a small town outside Jerusalem. It was just a few days before Jesus would go to the cross on Good Friday. And Jesus is having dinner with his friends, the disciples that we all know, and also a, a family or three siblings called Lazarus, Mary and Martha. Maybe some other folk joined them too. If you've got your Bible in front of you, you'll see in the previous chapter, in chapter 11, there's a story of how Lazarus had died and Jesus had raised him back from the dead. That had happened only um, a wee while before these events. And so dinner was finished. Um, people were scrubbing down um, the dishes and putting them away and tidying up all the stuff, shoving it back in the fridge. When Mary, the sister of Lazarus, comes up to Jesus with a pint of perfume. It's called Nard and it's a really expensive perfume. I guess all perfumes are, but this one is especially expensive. And it comes from the plants that grow in the foot of the Himalayan mountains. Today, if you go from Nepal to here, it take you a good day or so of flying but back then it would take you many weeks if not months of travel so you got to pick the plants process them in such a way to turn it into a pint of perfume traveling all of that way and Mary doesn't just take one or two drops of this expensive perfume and put it on Jesus head or his feet or whatever she pours a whole lot on Jesus anointing his feet we're never told it explicitly but it seems like Mary has come to understand who Jesus is his words, she realises, are not words like a normal person, but words from heaven. His actions are not normal actions. They're actions of God come to earth. And she loves Jesus. Not in a romantic way that you might love another person, but rather it's a, a, a love of devotion and of treasuring. She loves Jesus. How could she not? Her brother was dead and now he's alive. And in response to who Jesus is and all that he's done for her, she wants to express that love. So she takes a pint or half a litre of that pure expensive perfume, that really valued fragrance, and pours it on the feet of Jesus. And more than just pouring it on his feet or rubbing it with her hands, we're told by John that she gets down low to the ground and she gets her hair and wipes it all over his feet and rubs perfume all around his feet. Now in those days, in that culture, it was hospitable not to offer folk teas and coffees and a biscuit when you came to your house, but rather the most hospitable thing to do was to give them a bowl of water to wash their feet. Sometimes if you were rich enough, you would add some perfume into that water, not enough to be wasteful, because that would be wrong to do that. But your feet need to be washed. Just as if someone had traced their field on the way to your house, you would hope they would take their shoes off or you might be kind enough to do that for others. So folk would wash their feet before they entered the house of another person. 
After all, back then, they're not wearing boots or shoes like you and I are wearing this morning. They'd wear open-toed sandals. The roads were not tarmac. The roads were dirty and dusty. All the sweat-inducing heat with nearly bare feet and the dusty roads combined to make a pretty manky foot. And so when you came to someone's home, you were polite, you were kind, and you washed your filthy, sweaty feet. To the outsider, the action of Mary, though, was totally wasteful. Putting a few drops of water, of course, that's fine, Mary. But a whole pint, that's stupid. Judas calls her out for that. He says, Jesus, that's a waste. Why would you do that? In fact, we're told it was a year's wages worth of perfume. I don't know what, if you're wearing a perfume today or if you sometimes do wear perfume, but your perfume's probably quite expensive. And there's a reason it comes in bottles this size and not bottles this size, I imagine. Because most of us couldn't afford a bottle that size all at once. The same back then. A year's wages worth of perfume, not sprayed once or twice on your neck or your wrists, but poured all over the feet of someone else. A year's wages in our country would be about £30,000. Imagine pouring £30,000 worth of perfume or whatever else on someone's feet. Yeah, fine. Give them a couple of sprays on their feet. Give them a little bit. £30,000. But to Mary, Jesus is worth that extravagance. We don't know where the perfume came from. Maybe it's a family heirloom. Maybe the family had chipped in over the years and hoping that one day inflation would allow it to be sold for even more money. We don't know. But Mary thought, no, no, this is the time to use it. Not as a bit, but all at once. And even though it's excessive, Jesus is worth it. To know him, to see him, to hear him, to be with him is more valuable than anything else the world could give me, even my year's worth of wages invested in this perfume. Jesus has seen the glory of Jesus. She's tasted his grace, she's glimpsed his truth. Her heart's been transformed. What else could she do but pour out her love in such a lavish way? Now, if I had a cheque for £30,000 for you this morning, I don't, but if I did, I wonder what you would do with it. Maybe it would go towards upgrading your house or buying a new car or paying for medical treatment that you can't get on the NHS or you're waiting too long to get done or plenty of other things too. But think back then what a year's worth of wages would have done. Because back then you lived in a small subsistence lifestyle with basic medical treatment, living hand to mouth each day. If you didn't grow your food that day and you didn't pick it, you starved that evening. There was no pensions, no benefits, If you were old and you couldn't work, tough. You better hope you have someone to look after you. No benefits like we have now. What could she have bought? How would it have funded her life for at least a while? But but Mary says, Jesus is worth it. She raised my brother from the dead and he is worth it all. He's a resurrection in life. There is no value um, too big enough to give to Jesus. There's no quantifying his worth. He's worth all of my love, my affection, my adoration. Jesus says it's for burial that this was supposed to be used. And in fact, that's what it is being used for. Mary somehow knows what Jesus is about to do for her. And think about it. Even the lowliest, the dirtiest, the smelliest part of Jesus, Jesus was not clean and perfect, as you might see in some um, kind of paintings where Jesus looks kind of perfectly polished and everything else. Jesus was as smelly as everyone else back then. But Mary says... Even the most smelliest bit of you, Jesus, is worthy of the best of me. 
And that's what worship is. Worship is giving Jesus our all in all. God demands our all. Because I don't think you can be half-hearted in worship. That's not to say you can't be sad or come with brokenness this morning. Of course you can. But you can't kind of go, oh, I can't be bothered worshipping God. I'll give you a worship on a Tuesday afternoon and that'll do you. I don't think half-hearted worship is true worship. Isaac Watts wrote in the final verse of his hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, one of my favourites. He says, with the whole realm of nature mine, if I owned everything in the whole universe, that would be an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, it demands my soul, my life, my all. Our God, because of his divinity, majesty, splendour, because of his grace given to you, if you comprehend that, if you begin to understand that, it necessitates your soul beginning to go, wow, I worship you. You're worthy of everything that I am and I have. Even the whole universe, if I owned it, God, it would not be enough. So that's a call in your life and my life and all of our lives to have a lifestyle of worship. Now, earlier, Caroline was talking about worship in terms of music and songs. It's a big part of our Sunday gatherings and other gatherings, perhaps, too. But worship is not just about singing and the songs that we sing or the hymns that we might play or the music that we might accompany it with. That's a key aspect of worship, but it's not worship alone. For worship is not confined to Sunday mornings. Worship should be a lifestyle of love and adoration to God. And so when we come to Sunday mornings, God doesn't mind what style of worship or what songs we might sing. What we sing, the style we sing it in, is largely down to the culture of the time and place that we find ourselves in. It might be according to the denomination or the hymn books it has, or the preferences of individuals, or so on. So some of you really love the organ and you're looking forward to being back next door, and that's fine. Some of you love the praise band and you hate the organ, and so you're quite glad that we're in here for a few weeks and we don't have the organ. Some of you maybe grew up or have been part of churches where they sing unaccompanied psalms in the past with no musical instruments whatsoever. Others of you, if you could, you would go to another church that has a full kind of praise band where everyone's younger than me and they're all wearing skinny jeans and they belt out rock tunes and that would be your kind of cup of tea. God doesn't mind though. So God doesn't mind if you sing hymns and songs by it with an organ or a small praise group. He doesn't mind if it's a robed choir in a candlelit cathedral or if it's traditional tribal cultures who sing the same um, phrase or the same sentence over and over again to the beat of a drum while dancing in a circle. He doesn't mind the unaccompanied psalms of our um, traditions in the past. Because God's not after a set lit- liturgy or set format of worship. Rather, he's seeking a people who will say, God, I worship you in spirit and in truth. I worship you wholeheartedly. What does Jesus mean by spirit and in truth? Well, he says in terms of truth that we worship the God as revealed in the Bible. We don't make up what God is like. We don't say, I think God that you might be like this, so I'll worship that God. No, we read the Bible, we find out who God is, and we worship him based off of that. So our hymns, our preaching, our prayers, all of life should be in conformity to what God is like. And our worship must be in spirit. In other words, worship is not a case of coming to Sunday, putting in your time card and say, I sang five songs and I went home and listened to the minister. And that's me worshipping. Now, Jesus says worship must be in spirit. It comes from within, from your own spirit saying, I want to worship you. I want to give you my all. 
I love you, Jesus. I will worship you. If no one else sings, I will still sing. If church is closed for whatever reason, I still want to sing and praise you and glorify you and live out my life following you. Worship is heart, not just action. And so to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus is to be a worshipper, a worshipper wholeheartedly. So the call of God upon you and me today is that we'd be an all-in kind of worshipper, that we would devote ourselves to God wholeheartedly. And when I say an all-in kind of worshipper, I mean an all-in and all-of-life kind of worshipper. That everything about us is to say to God, I want to worship you. Paul says to the Christians in Rome, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That is true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul doesn't say, in view of God's mercy, come to church for an hour on Sunday and sing five songs and listen to the preacher. He says, offer your whole bodies, offer your minds and let them be transformed by God. That's worship. Yes, worship is Sunday morning, but worship is also Monday, Tuesday and the rest of the week too. Be willing to let God work in and through you to change your heart, to change your soul. That's worship. Elsewhere, Paul says, whatever you eat, chocolate cake after service, whatever you have for lunch, whatever you drink, he says, whatever you do in life, do it all for the glory of God. And so worship is not just about singing on Sunday. It's about tomorrow when you meet with your boss and you've got a difficult meeting to have. Or it's Wednesday when you look after the kids or your grandkids and how you love them and interact with them. Or Thursday as you look through your finances and you're like, how am I spending my money? Should I change how I give my money to charities or how I spend my money on myself, etc.? Or it's on Saturdays you hang out with your friends in the bingo hall or with your mates in the football pitch. Worship is a lifestyle that says, God, I love you. You're worthy of all of me. So use me, my words, my actions, my life. William Barclay, the Church of Scotland minister from the last century, put it like this. You might say, I'm going to church to worship God. But you should also be able to say, I'm going to the factory, the shop, the office, the school, the garage, the mine, the shipyard, the field, the cowshed or the garden to worship God. Real worship is the offering of everyday life to him. Everyday life. Not just at Bible studies and prayer meetings and, and Sunday morning gatherings, but at work, at school, at uni, in your garden, going down the shops, bumping into strangers, when you're filling up your car with petrol, whatever else it might be, everyday life can be worship. And is that not what we see in Mary when she pours out every last drop of that perfume on Jesus' feet? God, let all of my life, every drop of it, every moment of my day, every pound that I own, be used worshipfully. Is that not what we see in brothers and sisters in Christ who are tortured for their faith? North Korean Christians who right now are in prison and have been for a decade because they dare to do what you do right now and come to church and hang out with followers of Jesus. But they say, but it's worth it. Yeah, I'm being tortured. Yeah, I might even be killed. Yeah, I might spend the next 30 years of my life in this hellhole of a prison. But it's worth it because Jesus, you're worth it. Or indeed just followers of Jesus like you and me, as we daily repent of our sin 
God, I'm sorry I lied. God, I'm sorry I'm proud. Help me to live more for you tomorrow or the rest of today. And as they trust in Jesus, striving to be faithful to Jesus in the normal everyday part of their life, not in the holy parts, but every part of life, in their finances, relationships, their words, their actions, their job, whatever else it might be. But why would you worship like that? Why would a North Korean Christian say that Jesus is worth it? Why not just give Sunday morning for an hour to God? Why would you live all of your life in surrender? Well, real worship isn't done on a whim. It arises out of a heart that says, I can't do anything else but worship you, God. I can't do anything else than be captivated and in awe of the one who gave himself, who gave himself for me, who gave me physical life and spiritual life. I guess for me, um, loving Kirsty, I can't do anything else but love her. I don't do it always very well, but I can't do anything else but love her because she's my wife and I pledge myself to her. And with us, with God, that's what it is. I can't, we can't do anything else when we see God for all that he is and all that he's done. We can't do anything else but worship. Because when we move from a point of seeing God as just a, fate, a kind of old man in the sky and recognise that God is so much bigger and greater and more wonderful than that. When you recognise that God is the creator of heaven and earth, the gracious and glorious king, that he's your loving heavenly father who gives you a lavish love day after day, who made you together in your mother's womb, who rescues you from certain death through giving up his son in your place. When you get that, God becomes supremely valuable to you and you worship. Lou Gigolo puts it like this. Worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things that we say and the way that we live. Worship is personal. It's what you do every day of the week when no one else is watching. It's corporate with others. It's because of who God is, what he has done. And it's expressed not in song or just in songs, but it's expressed by the way you speak, the way you live, what you do. If we're going to rightly worship God, it demands that our hearts are grasped by the value of God, that we value him, that we supremely valuable, supremely value him, that we recognise that he's of infinite worth, even worth more than a year's wages to us. So if you want a definition of worship, I would say it's this. It's the treasuring of God above all other things. Worship is a treasuring of God above all other things. More than a year's wages. For the North Korean Christian, more than life itself. Have you come to treasure God above all things? Because the Bible says, find your deepest and most intimate of joy in him. The Bible says in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord. And in case you missed it, Paul says again, rejoice in the Lord straight afterwards. The Psalms say, delight yourself in the Lord. Or be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O you righteous people. Or Psalm 90 says, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, so that we may rejoice and be glad on Sunday mornings and Sunday mornings alone. Oh no, sorry. Be glad all of our life. And one day, it might be tonight, it might be in decades to come, if you follow Jesus, you will find yourself before your king for all of eternity. In Revelation, we're told or given various images of what heaven will be like. And one of my favourite is the beginning of chapter 19. John looks. Why she doesn't look? 
he's looking one way and then he hears this noise and he describes it as a roar. And you might think it's a, a lion or it's a tiger or something else like that. But no, he says it's a roar of people praising God. The volume is such so immense that it's like every single football stadium in the world combined into one times a million more of cheers and chants and celebrations. And John says, hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. That's what they cry out. That's what they roar out to God. As Caroline was saying earlier, it doesn't matter how badly you might sing. You know what? Some of us don't have great singing voices. We're not going to be an X Factor, but that's okay. Because together we make a roar. The people of God were not going... Because they're embarrassed by their voice. They have to shout out how loud and how wonderful God was. In fact, this life, whether it's short or long, is an introductory course to a life of worship for all of eternity. Because in heaven you'll have an unquenchable joy that will fill your soul. Innumerable hymns that you will write every single day will spring forth from your lips as you worship your God. But it begins today, here and now in this life. And wherever you are in your journey with Jesus, following him from decades or you've just begun to follow him, today is the day to turn afresh to him and see him as an all-satisfying treasure. To marvel at his grace, his amazing love for you, for you, for you. And to respond in worship. And so think about it. What would it what if you kept your focus upon Jesus in the everyday moments of life? Tomorrow when you commute to work or you drop your kids off somewhere or you um, go and hang out with your friends or you just spend time with loved ones. What would it look like for you to behold the glory of God and his goodness for you? That he gave you your family, that he gave you your life, that he gave you your health, whatever it might be. That you might remember all that he's done for you, including the reality that your sins are wholly forgiven that you're rescued from the pit of hell, that you're adopted as a son or daughter of God, that God seats you in the heavenly places. What if you daily, no hourly, no minute by minute, said, God, you're my king. You're the one that I trust in. And you're the victory and strength in every circumstance. Wouldn't you and I live with a constant amazement and awe and wonder that you treasure your God, your saviour and king? I pray that you'd be like Mary. Not that you'd bring a bottle of perfume and you'd pour it out, although you can if you want, but you don't have to. But rather that you would treasure God above all things. You'd experience the greatness and the goodness of Jesus Christ. You'd find him supremely valuable. And in response to all that he's done for you, all that he is, you'd pour out your life. That you'd be an all of life worshipper. So friends, be a disciple. Be a worshipper of Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious God, it's just staggering that you would love us with this unceasing and endless love. That you're the God who is greater than all, who is outside of time and space, and yet you lavish your love upon us. That you've given us Jesus, that he might take our place, that we might be friends with you forever and know your presence and goodness. And so we ask this morning that we would be people who respond to your value, your worth, your um, everything that you are, that we would be worshippers of you. Not that we would just sing some songs on a Sunday, but that actually all of our life would increasingly be conformed into a lifestyle of worship, 
God, might you help us to use our words to worship you, our actions, the way we spend our money, the way we interact with loved ones, with acquaintances and with strangers. Help us all of life to worship you in spirit and in truth, for you are worthy of all. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I mentioned uh, a few months ago about how it doesn't matter how we sing, and I thought, well, we do sing um, at the moment in here, and the same time we've got a small praise group, so I thought we'd sing it a song slightly differently this morning, and we're going to sing um, one of the Psalms, All People That On Earth Do Dwell, and part of the way through, um, the praise band are going to um, go on strike, and uh, <laughs> you and I will finish the last couple of verses, um, unaccompanied as, um, as I said to Many congregations still do around the world today, and indeed our church would have done um, in the past very regularly. So we're going to sing together, all people that on earth to dwell, with the praise band to begin with, and then we'll close just um, ourselves and our voices. says whom and I whom have I in heaven but you 
There's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God, you're my strength. You're my portion forever. Lord, that's a desire, Lord, that these words would be our words. That we would long to worship you, that we would long to um, recognize within every part of our being that we have nothing on earth besides you. That you're worthy of every moment of our day, every breath of our lungs, every beat of our heart. God, we worship you. And where we fail to worship you, may you um, pour out your grace and forgiveness and help us to find in you an all-satisfying treasure, a delight and a joy that fills up our heart to overflowing, that we might be like Mary and say, you're worthy of it all. For God, indeed you are. And so as our God, our King, our Rock, we come to you in prayer. This weekend has been Holocaust Memorial Day, that was yesterday. Lord, we recognise the Holocaust took place a kind of long time ago, but we, we know that many still live with the after effects of it. Many still live with the knowledge that they never got to know their parents or their family member or friends or live them their whole life because of it. And Lord, we pray that things like that would never happen again. There would be no more holocaust. There would be no more genocides. But yet we recognise that genocides do happen. We continue to pray for Israel and those who have been affected by the, um, the effects of a few months ago and still dealing with it. And the people of Gaza as they um, try to find a future for them. We pray for peace in Israel and Gaza. We pray for an end to war and conflict. That no more children or parents would die or be maimed or injured. And Lord, we pray for those still targeted by genocide. For the Darfuri people of Sudan as they are systematically targeted by government and others. Or for, for Rohingya Muslims and the ongoing persecution and killings they face by the military. Or for those who are still living with the after effects of recent genocides of Iraq and Syria in recent years, or Rwanda and Bosnia in the 90s. Lord, we pray for all of these areas. Reconciliation. We pray for peace. We pray that the genocide would be a thing of past and never to be repeated. That people of all ages and stages of life might live in freedom and peace, we pray. God, for our own lives and for those we love, we pray for peace for those who are ill or awaiting a diagnosis or recently discovered one. We pray for healing even when it seems utterly impossible, when doctors and nurses have pronounced the end of life. Lord, we believe that you can intervene even then. We pray for our church family members who are housebound or in care or sheltering at home as they um, live with cancer or other conditions. May you surround them with your love and your grace. Put loved ones around them, put family and friends and those in the church around them that we might be the hands and feet of Jesus. And for our church, Lord, might you give us all that we would need to be your people. Give us the right resources of people of finances, of structurally sound buildings, of all the rest of things, that we might be all that you call us to be. That the people of Bervie and Gurdon, Abuthnet, Kenneth and Catiline would experience the goodness of Jesus 
through us as you graciously provide all that we need. Father, we pray for our church, that you would bless us from the youngest to the oldest, that we would know Jesus increasingly day after day. For our small groups as they begin, help those who come along who are nervous, Lord, to not be nervous, but to be willing to come alongside and get to know each other and be able to contribute whenever they feel able to do so. For those who have not signed up but would like to, Lord, give them the, the boldness and the courage to do so. And we pray these small groups, these small gatherings of fellowship would be a time of real rejoicing and love, of prayer, of worship, of growing together to be all that Jesus would make us and want us to be. Lord, we thank you for each and every one of us here. We thank you for your church. And we thank you that we get to gather to worship you. And more than that, that we get to leave this place and continue our worship of you. Bless us, we pray, as worshippers of, of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. We close with our final song, O Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder. And a reminder, please do stay behind for tea, coffee and birthday cake. Um, we'd love for you to stay behind um, if you can. So let's sing as we close together, O Lord, my God. Take it in.
today and be glad and rejoice in the Lord. May you go and shout for joy and celebrate your King. May the Lord bless you and keep you today and forevermore. Amen. Hallelujah, what a sin. 